0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Gaming Moguls Podcast, the only gaming podcast where you have 12 train games and absolutely none of them are variants on the game of Rummy. I'm one of your hosts for this evening, Mark Teske, along with my other co host, my friend, Mr. Jake Klopfenstein. Jake, how are you this evening? I'm doing wonderfully, Mark. How are you? Absolutely fabulous.
1: Jake, we have an awesome episode coming up ahead this evening, do we not? Always, always. It's going to be cram packed full of conversation, games, wrong opinions. <laughs> <laughs> you can we can be trusted on that one hundred percent
0: of the time. I cannot hardly believe that we are already doing episode nine, which, if you've listened to episode zero, our introduction, means that this is our tenth episode. Jake, Woo! one of the cool things is we've had some very nice growth in listenership since the start. Just want to thank everybody that's out there that has subscribed to us and has listened to us and has told a friend about us, and uh, we're really happy with things are at right now. Most of all, I want to thank all of you who have reached out to us with some kind words about how they enjoy the podcast, because frankly, that is the only payment that Jake and I get. So it's nice to get a paycheck once in a while.
1: Absolutely. And having a nice comment counts other than just uh, spending money to talk on a microphone with my buddy, Mark. For sure.
0: But 100 percent, if there's one thing you could do for us that really means a ton, if you could reach out and tell a friend about us, that would be absolutely great. And
1: again, thanks to everybody that has done that. We really appreciate it. So, Mark, why don't we talk about some games that we played this week? What'd you play this week? I had a unique set of circumstances
0: this week in that uh, we had a historic cold snap last week, shall we say? I think we even mentioned it in our last episode. Yeah, it was very cold. (laughs) double digits below zero and windy for multiple days in a row, which we kind of knew what we were getting into when we signed up for living in Minnesota, but that was a little above and beyond our pay grade. So, They ended up canceling school for just about the entire week last week. I had a 10 and a 12 year old hanging out with us that wanted to do a lot of game playing last week. So I got to play a whole bunch of games last week. Also, by the way, as an architectural photographer, there is not a lot of call to have architectural photos taken in when it's 20 degrees below zero and snowy. So I was more or less off for the week as well.
1: Mine was the opposite. My boss is in town from Atlanta. I thought she was going to freeze to death. She thankfully did not. And we saw a whole bunch of customers. So I was busy this week. I didn't get as much game playing as you did. Would you play with your kids? You know, I got to pull out some crazy
0: stuff that I a, never would have thought I would have played with my kids and be some stuff that I hadn't played in a very long time. So one of the things I've kind of had a hankering to pull out and play due to the massive amount of upgrading I've done to it is the cute little storytelling game Mice and Mystics by Plaid Hat Games and Jerry Hawthorne. You know, this is something that I've had for quite a while, and we tried playing it a couple years ago, and my daughter was eight, and my eight-year-old daughter has, an, or she's now 10, has a very active imagination, and at eight, even the notion of giant rats chasing after a mouse-sized prince was a little too intense for her. So that makes sense. Put it back spooky. on the shelf for a couple years. Well, and there's giant spiders and giant centipedes and all kinds of other yucky, creepy crawlies. She still had that in her brain that this game scared her. It's been hard to get back out. And I actually spent a lot of time painting all the miniatures on that one. And they're cool. I'm really pretty proud of how these turned out. I've actually never seen them. Yeah, you've seen how I've gotten some of my other stuff painted up. And yeah, that was the first thing that I ever did. But I actually think they turned out really, really well. So I've been looking for an excuse to pull that out again. So we managed to get it out one afternoon and play it. And we had a blast playing it. It was a super fun time. Good. She was no longer scared. No, no. And she's actually pretty excited to play again. So we may actually get that one completed. It's funny. I would actually almost call it a little bit of Gloomhaven light. It sort of had a bit of that feel.
1: Cool. Well, it's great. It's a group of people working together to accomplish missions. Is it one versus many? Is there like a DM or GM in the game or? uh No, it's a um it is very much like Gloomhaven in that
0: you're all in the same party and you all are working through a storyline in there where you have to do a mission and get to a thing. It's you versus the game. And there's a timer that when certain events transpire, you add cheese to the cheese timer. And of course you do. There's a surge of monsters when the cheese timer runs out. And (laughs) yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And you also get to power up when you do good things. And when you roll cheese on the dice, you also get cheese, which you can trade in and level up and get more abilities for your characters. A bit cheesy, a bit cheesy, but dripping with theme. I mean, it really, really well written, uh, beautiful components. It was fun to pull that one back out again. Cool. So, uh, Mice and Mystics by Jerry Hawthorne. It was fun to play that one again. Also in the haven't played it again forever, pulled out and played Raiders of the North Sea, which I don't know how much more we need to say about this. We've talked about this one in the past, but it's been a favorite of my family's for a long time. And uh, everybody pretty much remembered how to play it since the last time we played it, rolled with it and uh, banged that one out one snowy morning.
1: Isn't that the best where you don't actually have to teach the rules? It almost feels like something's wrong whenever I don't have to like even do a quick rundown of the rules. I'm like, are you guys sure you know? And they're like, yeah, we'll play this game a million times. Oh, yeah, completely. It literally was just set up and like, all right, dad, let's go. <laughs> OK, we win. all right. Wow. We just have too many games to do that with frequency. Yeah, I did have to do one tweak to it, though. We were playing with
0: the Yarl, the expansion with the Jarls. In there, what is that? The Hall of Heroes, I think it is. Field of Fame, Field of Fame. fame. There it
1: is. Yes, yeah. We're playing with
0: that expansion, so I did have to explain how the Yarls work and how the uh whatever the glory tokens were, the reputation or whatever the purple things are. I'd explain that. Got it. They liked it. I'm not sure they liked the expansion that much. I think they would have preferred to play it with the other one. They kind of got a kick My like my daughter got a kick out of fighting the Jarls, but I think they would have rather played the base game. Honestly, Yeah,
1: I think the base game's good. But if I were to have one of them, it's the Hall of Heroes, which is where it comes with the mead and another way to get what are they called? Adventures? I can't remember, but you get cards of people to add to your crew.
0: Yeah, I need to get that one. I've got the other two and that one needs to get added to my box because that's
1: a fun one. The other two, there's only two. I have the base and the other expansion. Ah, got it, got it, got it, got it. I was going to say, I was like, there's only the, two expansions. The are two I think. things that are available. <laughs> got it, got it, got it. Makes sense.
0: Cool. I got to introduce them to Troll, and uh, unlike somebody else, I know that I couldn't <laughs> introduce to Troll last night, Mister Tired Out. Yep, that's my fault. That's an Oink game by Kuji Kimura that we talked about in our Oinkisode. Super fun. Not going to spend any more time on that one. The most interesting thing I attempted to teach them was 18 Lilliput. I knew this would be a stretch, but my son is probably our biggest fan, as is my daughter. They actually make me play the episodes as we drive to ski lessons on Sunday. I know it's a little bit weird. Got it. So we end up listening to the car. So they've heard us talk about 18 Lilliput a whole bunch of times. And my son has been pestering me to play this one. Also, my wife has uh, stood in as a financial role and works at a bunch of financial services companies. So I figured she could probably handle the financial aspect of this one. So I thought, what the heck, I'll just give her a roll and see how they managed to cope with playing 18 Lilliput. And they're doing pretty well. Yeah. Weirdly, we're still in the middle of that game. My wife's on some business travel this week and we couldn't finish. So it's sitting in my game table, perfectly protected, ready to be pulled out and played again as soon as she gets home. But well, good. yeah, we were about halfway through the game, did go through the rules twice for my kids. I went through it one night and then went through it again with my wife the next day. And my son totally has it. He is getting every little bit of it and he's getting a little cheeky about his performance in the game and I think he's in for a rude
1: awakening. All things will crumble.
0: Oh, he's about to have a bunch of trains rust away and that's Oof. going to be a rude
1: awakening. <laughs> that kills the William.
0: Uh-huh. Uh, Elizabeth's a little nervous about she's like, I feel like I'm falling behind, but she has more shares than anybody else, so
1: she's not doing that bad. Cool. Well that's great. Happy to hear that little kids are playing 18 xx style games maybe they'll be playing 1889 next you know if they do well with this one i wouldn't rule that out there you go well it sounds like a fun weekend of gaming with uh, the kiddos being around for sure you got to get out and do a little gaming on monday night that i was super jealous about one of our friends j mac has made it his uh, new year's resolution to learn one game each month and play it and so technically it was well, in february and teach it, right yeah 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 learn and teach it because john is has one of the biggest game collection yeah. in the group but he doesn't bring games that often, so he's going to try to fix that. He's got an awesome collection. Too. Oh, it's huge! Yeah, this was John's New Year's resolution to play and run a game every month. So this was his January game, and we played it in the early part of February. So buck up, John! You better do uh, another game for February. I believe in you. But through the ages, it was incredibly yeah, you cool. Think of this one, it was incredibly cool. So it's very, very fiddly. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts that you're maintaining throughout the game. Every single time it's someone's turn, you have to re-slide down a card market and certain cards will leave, certain cards will not leave. And I think what we could have done is maybe set up the table a little bit better and sat a little closer to each other. I didn't have my glasses on, so I can hardly read half the cards, which slowed down gameplay a little bit. And then with every single resource you get, they're moving to different pools and different degrees in the different pools to check everything. But this game is by far my favorite Sid Meier style civilization game. So I've played Civilization into Dawn. I've played Through the Ages. I've played uh, Flow of History. I've played probably a few antiquity. other ones on antiquity counts too, but that's a little different. That's more of an area control game. Sure. Um, yep, yep, yep. But this game is by far the best of those. You would love it. The amount of moving levers that you have through just technically a card game is incredible. I really like the mechanisms. It felt incredibly evocative. Once you get towards about the second age, you really know what's going on. You can finally dig it in. And the scores were all reasonably close. I think Vince won and he maybe was 20 points more than the bottom score and in 130 point game or something along those lines. So we had a really fun time mm-hmm. with it. It was really cool. I would happily play this one anytime. When you look at the
0: board game Geek Top 20, you see that you've played, generally speaking, what, 17, 18 of those? I think I've probably played more than that. But the one that really stood out always was Through the Ages, that not only had I never played it, I didn't know anybody that owned it. I'd never right. seen it played. Nobody has ever pulled it out. It's it's weird to me that something that's that highly rated has just been absolutely invisible to our play group. So finding that, out, oh, that John actually, John, well, I own it. Yeah. Or like, well... Get after it there brother. It was really good to hear and I have had a chance to play this game on iOS on the iPad and thought it was really cool and I definitely would like to play it again with humans. I've only played it once or twice and can see the beauty of it and I really want to play with people so that
1: I can really experience that one. Yeah, you definitely should. I hope I hope John runs it again. It's a little longer of a game and it's a card game so the rule book was not very good, which is surprising because normally Vladivostok's rule books are really good, but it's pretty information dense and there's a lot of different card interactions that may or may not be figured out. I think I want to play the app. I have the app as well, a whole bunch more just to kind of really ingrain the rules into myself. So when I play it in person again, next, I will be able to really dive into the game, but it was awesome. Thanks for running it, John. Really appreciate it. Very cool. I also was lucky enough to get a couple of other games played at our Wednesday night this week. We had a newer player joining us. So I ran the estates that is by Capstone Games and designed by Klaus zok. This went over really well. We played it three player, which is, I think, the only time I've ever played it three player. It was really interesting. Like always, the person who lost, lost by a lot, but they were a couple of dollars away from actually winning the game and actually getting the final thing.
0: That's the funny part about the estates is the winner may have negative money.
1: Yes. <laughs> and uh, Eric regrettably exploded. He was so close to winning. But what you're doing in these states is building different real estate developments. And it's done through a really interesting auction. Every single thing in the game is auctioned. So we also played Crusaders That Will Be Done, which we've talked about for the last couple episodes. So, I won't bore you with any more conversation on it. However, I have to chastise myself. <laughs> I've been getting a rule wrong. So felt kind of like an idiot. There's been a couple of games that I've messed rules up that are pretty significant. And Crusaders That Will Be Done is added to that list. Every time that you pillage in this game, you get a number of victory points or I can't remember what they're called, but they're victory points equal to the strength of the people that you've crusaded against. And we were not doing that before. So Whoops add that to the <laughs> Klondike Rush and uh Roll for the Galaxy dice placement issue that I played wrong for a very long time. So yeah, so I would imagine that makes the game go faster, doesn't it? Because you it does. Are, have a gradually
0: increasing amount of victory points, which is going to burn right. through the victory point pool quicker, correct?
1: Correct. And looking back at it, I think everybody kind of crusaded about the same amount the previous couple of times. So I don't think it would have been that big of an issue score wise. I'm I'm thinking maybe some people had moved around, but you know, whatever. Now I just need to play this one again. Now that I actually know the rules and they're correct the whole time. Yeah, no kidding. So while you were playing that, I was
0: sitting at the next table, apparently running the games I've been dying to play that I haven't played in a long time table. I was playing Trois by Sebastian Dujardin, Xavier Georges, and Alain Orban and I love this game. Holy smokes. We played it a whole bunch a year ago, and for whatever reason, just newer, shinier came along, and it sort of just fell off the pile. Man, glad I got a chance to pull that out. Introduced it to our friend Steven. JMAX played it a bunch of times, of course. And man, talk about a crazily tight game. This game is really tight to start with, but by the end of the game uh, literally the final scores were 36 35 34 wow which one little move anywhere would have flopped first and third place easily oh, it was God. super hotly contested and really tight there's a lot of pushing and shoving around bumping people out of buildings in the area control part of that and it was a really fun play of that game right. so that's one that i need to get back out and play more often because i forgot how much i love that game
1: i do have a bone to pick here with you I, oh you'd be and you'd be wrong jake but go ahead so you posted on Instagram under our shared Gaming Moguls Instagram account that this is a game Twa is better than Castles of Burgundy which I would like to point out by that. is not a a feeling held by all the members of the Gaming Moguls I would actually go to my deathbed saying that the opposite of true Castles of Burgundy is better nearly every single way the only thing that's less good at is how it actually looks but that will be fixed soon <laughs> Hey Jake
0: I have one thing to say about that
1: Oh god Oh, God. I've been dying to do that since we started this. <laughs> God, never again. I will ban you from that. Gosh. Jeez.
0: Our
1: recording app has
0: a little default soundboard that includes that. And I've just been waiting for the once in our entire history that I will do that. I promise you I will not Good. do that again. I had to do it that time. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. And I need to say nothing else about that opinion. But I do love Castles of Burgundy, so I'm going to retract part of that. But it's more a case on who walk. Speaking of games that haven't seen the light of day for a long time, I pull out a game that has not been played by us in, or well, has been played by none of us except for me ever. And it's been at least five years since I've played this game. That game is the introduction to the world to one Uwe Rosenberg, a game called Bonanza. It's a little card game about planting bean fields and harvesting the bean fields in hand management and trading. I think that checks all the boxes. Yes. Trick is you have a hand, you can't reorder it. You have to plant two bean fields. You must plant your first card in your hand. You can plant the second one. Aside from that, you have to trade and or donate the cards in your hand and a couple that you draw every turn to somebody else to make sure that you don't have to prematurely harvest one of your fields in order to maximize your profit on each field. And we played it six player, which is pretty exciting there's a lot of (laughs) vivacious trading that goes on with that there's a lot of stuff going
1: on yes correct oh that was a fun time playing jake what'd you think of that (laughs) yeah i thought it was fun um it's kind of interesting so i've been meaning to ask you this did we play it poorly or something did we play it weird like as a group so my takeaway from and the reason why i'm asking this is it felt like the game was a little long, and the trades weren't really interesting conversations. You know, it was just kind of an auction to see, okay, well, I'm, I'm looking for this. Who can give me this for this? Is there like more donating happening in other games, and like people's turns are a little faster or something, or do they put it up to forum less? I, 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 I don't know. It felt, it felt strange. Yeah, it was a little subpar. I think that there was
0: some negotiating for the sake of negotiating, which made it run a little bit long. There was some long like, come on, won't anybody give this to me for that? I think a lot of times negotiations are a little quicker when it's a little more obvious what people are interested. Like when people are more comfortable with what they have and what they want to get, the negotiations can go a little quicker. So I think sometimes there was negotiating
1: for the sake of negotiating. Right. And and you are mechanically limited on the negotiation. So it was not like in a lot of games like trade on the Tigers, for example, where you just start trading, just go, you know, and the market will kind of determine itself. It took a couple of go arounds before we kind of understood what and how to maximize our card trade for card trade kind of thing.
0: Right. And I think in some cases, too, maybe people weren't smartly optimizing their, you know, the ripe times to harvest their bean fields. So sometimes where people were automatically just holding out to completely fill up their chili bean field in order to get that thing as many as there as they can, whereas they might have been better off just saying, you know what, I'm going to bail on my chili bean to only get two here, but I have the opportunity to pick up three green beans from somebody else all in one deal. So I'll just bail on this one early and get the three green beans. So I think in a well-played game, there's more pivoting that goes on in the fields.
1: Got it. But yeah, it was fun. I played again. Cool. Um, I really liked the mechanism where you go through the deck. And certain cards are taken out of the deck. So it's kind of almost like a fluctuating market. I thought that was really
0: neat. Yeah, for sure. That's a fun game. I'm glad we got a chance to play that one. Finally, the last one we got to play late last night after you decided you were too tired to continue with us. Yeah, it was strange. Who am I? That's not me. <laughs> I know. Funny side note that you brought up to me earlier today as we were preparing for this episode is we had a new guy last night that none of us had ever gamed with before, who, by the way, did a great job at it. He really got exposed to a crazy variety of games last night. When you think about, he, you got him to play the Estates, you got him to play Crusaders, he played Bonanza, and then he finished up with the new and right. Doppelt So Clever. That's kind of all over the place in gaming, isn't it? Yeah, nothing super heavy, but... I mean, he played every single kind of category of game. Yeah, he did quite well with it. So that was uh, good to see on that one. Dopelt So Clever is the follow up to Ganshun Clever, the hit roll and write game for last year, coming out of Germany by Wolfgang Warsh. Dopelt So Clever was just announced recently and some enterprising gentleman or lady managed to make a score sheet for Dopelt So Clever and posted on Board Game Geek that would take the Ganshun Clever colored dice and translate it to Doppelt So Clever so that if you printed these out, you could play Dopold So Clever using the Ganshan Clever dice and accessories. And I printed those out and laminated those this week and got a chance to play it last night. Interesting. That's what I have to say about it.
1: It's interesting. If you could only have one, this or Gans, which one would you choose? Does it, I guess a better question is, does it vary variants from the base core game to make it so you need to own both?
0: Yes, I think they both do stand on their own shelf. It is dramatically and significantly different than Ganshin Clever. The core mechanism is exactly the same. You choose a dice, you discard any dice that are less than that, and you take three of those, then the passive players all choose one, and you go around the table a certain number of times. Where it gets weird is the strategy is wildly different in this one, and that one of the power-ups it introduces is the ability to take dice back out of the silver cup and use them again. There's a mechanism also that allows you to score multiple squares using an orange dice and every one that's lower than that that's still remaining. So we haven't figured this out yet, but I suspect there is actually a legitimate strategy around picking a high number orange dice early, sending a lot of dice to your cup, and then pulling them back out later on and re-rolling them. And that's really different than how Ganshan Clever works. And we definitely don't have that mastered yet.
1: Yeah, I'll have to play it. I'm excited to try. I mean, so I have a bootleg copy of Gonshun Clever, and I've been meaning to buy the actual edition. We call those print and play, Jake. Yes, print and play. This one feels really bootleggy. <laughs> and I I, th- I think it'll be interesting to compare. I I don't know. Have you played it much on the app, the Double So Clever yep, on the app or no? I
0: have played it several times. There's an iOS app available for Double So Clever as well, and I have not cracked the code. Like it took me a few plays of Gonshun Clever to figure out how to score high on that one repeatedly. And I am definitely not up that curve yet on Doppelt So Clever. So it's going to take a few more plays. I do really enjoy it. I personally think if you had to pick between them, Gans is probably the better game. But this one is unique enough that I think it's worth owning both. Cool. So that's Doppelt So Clever. I believe it's coming to the U.S. this spring. It's going to be published by Stronghold Games, along with the English printing of Gunshun Clever. So why don't we dive into the meat
1: and potatoes of this podcast, Mark? Excellent. So we are both very interested in components of board games. I Me mean, you are not super into mini games, so sorry, no. cool mini or not games, we're usually <laughs> not that interested in you, but we love upgraded components to games, and it's actually a hobby that we have found to bling and pimp out our board games. Yeah, we both have a super big passion around
0: taking games that we love, and I honestly focus on my favorite games on this one, and I try to make them as nice as I possibly can. I guess I'm not just satisfied with the -the out-of-the-box experience in most cases. If I can make it nicer, I will really try to. And one of the cool byproducts of having a podcast where we don't do reviews is that we have a lot of freedom to jump into some other interesting topics, some gaming adjacent topics or other things that aren't strictly about games. Now, let's be frank. This is a gaming podcast. We're mostly going to talk about games we have the ability to jump in and talk about some other things. So we today are going to talk quite a bit about game upgrades that we have run across over the years and we have personally jumped into. So,
1: Jake, let's do it. So let's start with upgraded components. So everybody's done this. You've bought a board game and for whatever reason, all of the components in it, let's say the thing that represent resources are a bunch of cardboard shits and that's just not good enough. Do we like cardboard shits, Jake? Uh, yeah, they're fine, but we prefer little chunky wooden bits. See episode two, I think, <laughs> is the one that's the chunky wooden bits where we talk about those. <laughs> exactly. So why don't we talk about... Might some, even be episode one. Might, might even be. We'll see. Why don't we talk about some of our favorite ways to get these and the stores that we usually buy from to do this. Along
0: the way, we'll also talk about some of our favorite specific things that we've upgraded. We're going to try to make this as non-listy as possible, but there are definitely going to be a few things we're going to sidetrack along as we're going to call
1: out some of our favorite upgrades that we've done. Correct. So to start, let's talk about, I think, my favorite company on this whole list, Meeple Source. Yep. So Meeple Source is a website and they also have booths at trade shows, but their kind of forte is they make screen printed custom meeples for... Different games. And they have a huge website. They run Kickstarters every once in a while, but I don't really think you need to actually do the Kickstarter. I don't know if it saves you any money or anything. You can usually buy them on their website before, but the website's meeplesource.com and they have a whole bunch of deluxe things. Certain ones are categorized to make for different uh, game kits, but other ones you can just buy a la carte. So, Mark, what's your favorite thing you've bought from Meeple Source? So, I actually got in quite a bit of trouble at meeple source at gen con
0: this year because i found their booth <laughs> and i looked at that and i went oh 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 oh! look at this i gotta have this oh i oh, oh i gotta have this one too oh oh shoot darn it i didn't think I, oh yeah i gotta have that one and then i found the imported games that they have and it was <laughs> all downhill from there because yeah. they were also had copies of metro x there as well so that's how i got my copy of metro x Anyway, sidetrack. Of the Meeple source stuff that I've personally procured, probably my favorite set of that stuff has been the Dungeon Pets upgrade set. Our family is crazy about Dungeon Pets. My daughter loves the cuteness of all the little monsters, so we end up playing Dungeon Pets a shocking amount given how heavy that game is. And... They make a upgrade set for dungeon pets, which includes realistic food tokens. Like you get a little steak instead of a red cube and you get right. What may be the greatest anime or the greatest little character meep, resource meeple that exists. You can replace your little brown cubes in dungeon pets with a realistic poop token. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, if that isn't. That's what I knew I needed. I know that's the, that's what's missing in my but life. I tell you what, every time that game comes out. As soon as you whip out the poop meeples, everybody goes, dude, poop meeples. This is great. They just love it. Yeah,
1: that's hilarious. So
0: anyway, it really does improve the sense of the game because the original game, it's a lot of cubes. It's brown cubes. It's black cubes. It's green cubes. It's red cubes. And thematically, you can figure out that a green
1: cube is a vegetable, but it's just cooler being a vegetable. Yeah, completely agree. And it seems like this is kind of a trend in board games, especially in Kickstarters, People really like these silk green meeples. Mm-hmm. So, Meeple Source has done a great job of giving people third party availability to do that. Some of my favorite ones I've gotten from here my first one is Yokohama. Um, Yokohama is one of our favorite games. We both missed the Kickstarters, which we still kick ourselves in the butt about, but we will actually talk about Yokohama a decent amount at almost every single store. But for me, I got the Meeple Source upgraded tokens, and they look beautiful. They kind of match the art style of the retail edition. Yeah. The other one that I really like from here is the Indonesia ones. And this is kind of something that is another point on why it's great to upgrade (laughs) these components. Indonesia is nearly um, go wrong. Right. Indonesia is nearly unplayable. Well, not nearly unplayable. You can play it just fine. So what they did is in the edition that I have, they have wooden resources and these are supposed to be used in the rulebook, as it says on the board. And then they have these little chits, the cardboard chits that are supposed to be the resources that are actually passed around on the boats and such to the different locations. The issue is the wooden tokens that are supposed to be played on the board are 400%, I believe, too big. I don't know if there's like a translation issue or something. But I mean, I'm not kidding. These things are like an inch wide. The, the, The rice is an inch wide. It's huge. It's like the reverse
0: spinal tap stonehenge. Instead of a little 12 inch tall stonehenge, it's these giant resources
1: which dwarf the board and look ridiculous out there. What they say to do is you're supposed to switch the use case of each different component thing. You're supposed to put the chits out there and then use the big old resources to actually indicate what is produced. But it's so stupid. They're gigantic. (laughs) Like you can't put them on each individual city. So I bucked up. I uh, got the probably the most expensive component upgrade on the website for the base resource for Indonesia, and they're beautiful. They fit the art of the the art and coloring of the game perfectly. And on the back side, they actually have red X's so you can indicate which ones have already produced. So they just do everything that I want them to do, and I think they make the make the game work really well. I still need to buy the upgraded cities because the other issue with my publication is. There's three different tiers of cities. Usually it goes green as level one, yellow as level two, and then red as level three, because that makes sense. Everyone's seen a stoplight. As one would expect. Not yep. in this one. It goes green, red, yellow, I believe. So uh, sure, uh, I need to buy the cities, but we'll see. I did buy a copy of Monopoly, and I might sure. actually use those instead. So we'll see.
0: I actually ran across a Meeple Source upgrade that I forgot that I even owned this weekend. I cracked open my copy of Mice and Mystics with my painted miniatures, and I went... Oh, hey, cool. That's right. I forgot at Gen Con, I bought little wooden cheese tokens, along with like wooden little heart tokens to represent your health and other things to replace the cardboard chits on there. And they're cool.
1: I forgot I bought them and they're pretty awesome. Right. But definitely click around on Sources website. What's also really cool, and we haven't done this as much, they just have lists and lists and lists of tokens that may or may not work for certain games. So if you just want to replace one thing in a game, they're all a la carte. You can buy packs of 10, I think 25 all the way up to bigger sizes. So let's say, like for me, for my Keyforge games, I I bought a whole bunch of Meeple Source tokens to represent all the different statuses in that game. And I, I think it's just great. I think they're a really cool company, and I love what they do, and I hope they keep on doing it. That was Meeple Source. Another company
0: that we've both purchased a number of upgraded components from is Board Game Geek and
1: their online store. This is my equivalent of your spending too much money at the last gen con at Meeple Source. I did that at BGG. <laughs> I just kept on buying stuff, uh, I did. and honestly, I did too because I was right behind you. I was fine,
0: and you were like, "Dude, do you see what they got over there at Board Game Geek?" I was like, "What? What? What?"
1: Well, and it's Board Game Geek. I spend so much time on the website, and I I use ad blocker. <laughs> don't tell Board Game Geek they're going to be <laughs> mad at me. But um, I don't like. I don't, I try to support the website. I love Board Game Geek. So I always do the patron drive thing. And I was like, oh, cool. I can give them more money. This is great. And it was Sunday and I wasn't trying to spend any more money. And I think I spent about a hundred bucks there because I'm an idiot. I'm going to take a quick little side trip into philosophy for a second, Jake. Go for it. What is the ship of thesis? I think we have said it before, but we've said it improperly. We've said the ship of Thebes. (laughs) Yeah, it's actually the ship of thesis. Yes. Um, The ship of thesis is a philosophical
0: argument about at what point does something stop being the original item? Like if you have a ship and you're sailing it across the Mediterranean and you replace one board every so often and eventually you replace all the boards at a certain point in time, that ship ceases to be the original ship and becomes a new ship at some point. And that is my copy of Orlean's. I could almost argue it's my copy of Yokohama too, but Orleans definitely. The fact that I have upgraded and replaced everything in that game—it's one of my all-time favorite games—and I am uh, pretty proud of the copy I have right now. Being that I don't have the deluxified version of it, almost more I made one that's every bit as cool. You have the insert, you have you have an allmark. I do, and we're going to talk about that a lot. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. So first thing from Board Game Geek is I got a beta set of the Orleans tokens. They they made little plastic round screen printed discs to replace the cardboard chits that you pull out of your bag. They are gorgeous. Holy cow. But the weird thing about it is they ended up having a mistake in the printing process. So like, yeah, the quality control wasn't high enough or something, right? No, three out of 10 of them are very significantly off center, not even kind of like really off center. So They realized that and they basically said, hey, you buy one set, we'll give you another set so that between the two, you can make a good set. And I went, oh, that's easy. (laughs) That'll work. It turned out, actually, that was great that they did because I also bought the fifth player expansion to Orleans. you needed all the ones you can get. I actually needed the extra pieces in there. So I ended up using like one point two five sets of those. And in most cases, I was able to get a a perfect set assembled. There's a couple ones that are a little off center, but I could at least pick the ones that were least bad out of that. And that is a massive upgrade to that game, pulling out those nice little smooth plastic they're a little bit weighty. Even, oh, they're great. Out of the bag instead of a plastic chip. They're oh, they're so nice. I know you're very fond of the chips, the
1: little upgraded chits that you got from Board Game Geek as well. Yeah, I am. So at that point in time when we were actually buying them, there were four different games available. And for those online to actually get to this store, you just Google Board Game Geek Store, but the actual URL is BoardGameGeekStore.com. And what we're talking about now is called the Geek Up Bit Set. And so the ones that were available was Antiquity, Orleans, Seasons, and then Race for the Galaxy victory point shits. So I actually bought the Antiquity set and the Race for the Galaxy set. And the Race for the Galaxy set, all it was is replace the victory point counters, which is great because I bought one set and I replaced out both my my victory point counters in Roll for the Galaxy and Race for the Galaxy. I'm a winner. Why on earth did I not buy that? I don't know because you didn't waste money on dumb things like me. (laughs) You know what? I saw race on the thing
0: and I don't own race. I own roll. Oh, and so you're like, got it. it. just didn't enter my brain. I don't know. But the one that
1: I really love is the Antiquity set. So Antiquity is a game by uh, Splatter Spellen, which is a small Dutch publisher, the same people that Screwed the pooch with uh, (laughs) with Indonesia. (laughs) Um, And I was sitting there thinking, do I make that joke? Do I make that joke? I'll I'll go for it. I'm the one who actually owns it, owns it. (laughs) I'll, I'll, I'll happily be mean to my own games. But they made these beautiful little replacement tokens for all of the different resources in antiquity. So it actually works in antiquities. You actually place these on the little hexes. And the original hexes were really, really tan. And they all had this white outline around it. I don't know if, if that was a design choice or if they just didn't put enough bleed into the chits. But these are a perfect replacement for it. And I think they look absolutely beautiful, actually, on the board. You've played with them, right, Mark? What did you think?
0: Yeah, yeah, they're cool. A little slippery. I don't know how well they
1: stack. But they're really cool looking. Right. I actually did send an online like blog post I set up a little antiquity scene and then I shook my hand on the piece to shake it to see if they'd fall off. And there was no difference between the the cardboard ones and the plastic ones. So I reject to your standpoint that they are slippery. They are great. (laughs) They're perfect.
0: No, they are really cool. I think that was a massive upgrade to that game. We also managed to find our way into lots of other random things in there. One of my absolute favorite things that I picked up there and one of my favorite upgrades overall is they made a set of printed bags for several different games. They're called Geek Up Bags. And they make them for a bunch of different games. And when I was there, I bought a set of the Castles of Burgundy. And as cool as those are, those are not my favorite ones. The favorite ones I have bought since then is the set of printed bags for Root that use the same artwork off the box. Mm -hmm. And each faction gets its own little bag that you can put all the cards
1: and all the pieces in there. And they're so cool. So why don't we take a step back and explain kind of what these are? So these are screen printed drawstring nylon almost bags. And they're designed specifically for certain components within the game to aid and set up. Or in the case of Root, each faction comes with its own bag that you put all the components in. So when you're starting the game and let's say I'm the wandering trash panda, you toss me the little trash panda and I open it up and I know it it evokes the theme immediately. And they're really affordable, too. Last time I checked, I think some of them are like five, ten bucks. So you can really get yeah, them for it really was cheap. Ten, twelve dollars maybe for the root ones. It was not very expensive. I'm looking at it right now. Fourteen dollars. But the ones for Great Western Trail, there are a couple random drawing bags and those are six dollars. So the ones that I think we should also talk about is the Castles of Burgundy one, because we both had little organizers, little mm-hmm. Plano boxes for it. And I got rid of my Plano box because this is so perfect. In Castles of Burgundy, there's a whole bunch of different categories of tiles, and you usually have to randomize those up and draw one out. So what they did is they printed out a number of bags, one for each color for the different types of buildings in Castles of Burgundy. And then to set up the game, all you do is grab that bag and you place one in each one of the new spots at each one of the new eras. It's absolutely perfect. And they have these for Castles of Burgundy. They have for Clans of Caledonia. They have it for Concordia, Gaia Project. Great Western Trail. I mean, it can keep on going, but there's about 11 games here that are incredibly benefited by having these little bags. I love these things. Yeah, those are
0: fantastic. And then I think the final thing you got too is uh, speaking
1: of upgrades to Splatter Games, <laughs> I think that this maybe conversation just be. Jake, why are you spending so much money on a publisher that already makes games that cost over $100? (laughs) Fuchin Magnet. Fuchin Magnet is another game by Splatter Spellin, the same Dutch publisher that I've had to fix three of the other games for. And (laughs) it comes with a whole bunch of cards on it. And so it's cool about the game is you get special abilities if you're the first person to do something. And so normally what that means is everybody will get a card if they're the first person to do that on the turn. So there's five cards. And if multiple people do it on the same turn, they both get the card. But instead, what this has is it's actually a uh, board game geek has it in their promo section i believe it's a little tray or a little board that you actually is wet erase and so what you can do wetter or dry erase and you can actually draw on it and you circle each one of the milestones and then everybody has one and they cross out when all the milestones are taken and you can have it and you just kind of look at it it's more of a tableau than a whole bunch of cards because there is a lot of different cards in that game and the other thing that i bought for and it came in this comes in the same pack is a card accordion So what that is, is it's like pretty heavyweight cardstock that's pre-printed with each one of the card names on it and has pre, I don't know if they're perforated, but they have little fold lines that you fold down. So you fold it like an accordion, like a little zigzaggy snake, and it fits inside the box once it's all kind of halfway punched out. So you have a bunch of little zigzags standing up. And then what you do is you can place each one of the cards in the box. So it takes up much less table space with the individual cards. It is so helpful to actually play the game. The Milestone Things is huge because you can get rid of an entire deck of cards. So you don't have to actually bring it. And then the accordion helps it so it doesn't take up the entire table with just piles of cards. It's awesome.
0: Yeah, it's super cool. And if you could ever bring that game again and we
1: actually get to play it, I can ogle on how awesome it is. Absolutely. I also think we should take a brief moment to let people know that there's a whole bunch of promos and other things on Board Game Geek. Please check out the store. There's a bunch of really cool stuff. This is just kind of stuff that we've actually bought and interacted with. It's cool stuff
0: for sure. Speaking of cool stores, it just has a million things to make your games nicer is one of our what well, I should say, one of my favorite online. Presences. I dislike this store top shelf, ga- <laughs> top shelf gamer. <laughs> You don't dislike no, this store. Fine. It's you fine. You have confirmation bias that you bought wood things. I like wood things. So
1: that's that's. I like wood things too, but uh, I like
0: variety as well. Someone's going to so, soundbite that. Top shelf gamer. Uh, <laughs> uh, top shelf gamer sells wood things too, Jake. Okay, so that's fine. You you don't dislike the store. Top shelf gamer is a website that has gone through and categorizes a bunch of bling components for different games. Whether it's metal coins acrylic resource tokens, wooden meeples, metal upgrade cubes, foam core organizers, wooden inserts, you name it. Anything and everything to upgrade your games categorized by game type. And they have a lot of cool things on there. Like one of the things they sell is all of the Stonemaier Game Resource Packs. And Stonemaier Games, besides printing some mega hit games like Scythe, has also gone through and made resource packs of realistic resources of everything from, well, like wood and metal and so forth that you'd use in Scythe, to things like fish and tea leaves and all kinds of other random things that you'd encounter in other games like Oh, Yokohama, for example. So I have purchased over time both the Stonemeyer Games resource packs for Scythe, which gives me realistic resources for the game of Scythe, as well as realistic resources for the game of Yokohama. It's got a nice little metal coppery thing for to represent the copper in Yokohama. It's got a little tea leaf for the tea. It's and it's got a little fish for the fish and bundle of cloth for the cloth and so on and so forth. Just super happy with the Table presence that those realistic clay
1: resources have with my Yokohama game and with my Scythe game. Absolutely, I have not actually bought anything from here, but I need to look on there to get some better coins. Some coins I'd like to replace in some of my games.
0: Yeah, they have a lot of coin sets on there. Can't promise you these are the cheapest ones in the world, but you know what? The one thing I will say is their customer service is amazing. It's a stupid little thing, but you'll order from them and you'll get a handwritten card with their basically saying. Hey, Mark, saw that you're ordering the upgrade kit for Yokohama. That's one of our favorite games. We hope you like this upgrade. Have a great day. Well, it's awesome. That's really nice. It's a really cool touch. It's You know, it's a nothing thing, but it's a neat touch. Cool. Yeah, that's topshelfgamer.com. Speaking of ordering things on points not so close to the U.S., I have ordered a bunch of upgraded components from a German website called spielmaterial.de. And near as I can tell, that's kind of the German equivalent of Meeple Source. Yeah, they're not as boutique though, right? They do have some game specific upgrade kits, but it's more the case that if you just want to order some fifteen millimeter wood tokens, or if you want to order individual meeples of whatever color you want, that's the place you want to go. And it is cheap. Their stuff is pretty darn cheap. You look at ordering a set of realistic resources from meeple source in wood for Orleans, for example, that's gonna cost you $80, $90, something like it. It's crazily expensive. Go to Spielmaterial.de. I think it was $12 or something like that. Now they're not as nice. I'll right. straight up say that. They're not, they're, they're like single color painted. They're cut to the right shape, but they're not like screen printed and cute and stuff like that. But definitely cooler than the dumb wooden chits that come with the game. Price-wise, it's a great deal. I've also gotten near and far wooden food resources there. And I think I may
1: replace those. They're kind of ugly, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> well, well, no, they're not so well, great. They're OK. Yeah. I do need you to go on this website and buy me some buildings for Yokohama. I'm very envious of yours.
0: Yeah, so they sell kind of two different. They sell like a uh, what I'd actually call like a Catan house is what it really looks like. It probably is a Catan yeah, house. Yeah, sure that's what it is. Yeah, and then they have something else that looks kind of like a bigger, grander house with a little steeple on it or whatever. And that works out great for the buildings for Yokohama, for the two sizes of buildings that you can build out there. And purchased a set of those. Again, it was Extremely cheap. I don't remember how much it was, but it did not cost very much to outfit that game in the four colors that you needed for it. The last thing that I typically order from Spielmaterial.de is all the tokens I do when I print and play an 18XX game because they have all the colors that you need. And once again, cheap, 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 cheap. And it's a little scary for a US person ordering from Germany. I think shipping was only a few dollars and it arrived in less well, than they a week. you probably just pop it in regular mail, right? I was pretty shocked at how quick it got there. In a lot of ways, it was nearly transparent from ordering from a U.S. company. Cool. That's awesome. So Spielmaterial.de. There are days, Jake, when no amount of web surfing finds you exactly what you want. That's when you got to make it yourself. You got to make it up. yourself. Pick yourself my- <laughs> up
1: by your bootstraps, Mark.
0: <laughs> my favorite way of DIYing game components is with my 3D printer. Now, in most cases, uh, you can download these patterns from Thingiverse and start printing them up and have them ready to go as soon as your printer will spit them out. In some cases, there are some custom-made ones that don't have plans available that you can purchase pre-printed from Etsy. For example, I made a print-and-play version of Glory to Rome, and about halfway through the very first play, I went, man, we need a cool first-player token other than this dumb card you know what we need? We need a marble bust of Caesar. Yes. So Smash got to me ordering marble zero filament and printing out a marble bust of Caesar, which is now in my glory to Rome set and permanently to be my first player token. And of course, the first iteration of that one looked a little weird because my printer yeah, was looked a little vaporwave. A little too weird there. Yeah, a little bit. And I reprinted it and made it perfect. And I made it twice as big because The only thing better than a Caesar bust is a big Caesar bust. that was crazy.
1: I remember that being a little bit my idea, Mark. Is that, am I remembering wrong?
0: We were at the table together. I think it was a group discussion.
1: Okay, okay, got it.
0: A couple of the other favorite things that I printed out there. I was able to upgrade my copy of Medina from first edition to second edition by adding a well and adding some of the different tokens for that. I was able to 3D print that stuff. That was all available on there. I printed a cube alignment tray for Eclipse that I was able to find from Thingiverse. One of the downsides of Eclipse is that there's these tracks of little cubes on there that you pull them off to indicate how your economy is growing. And if you ever bump that thing, those cubes are all over the place and you lose track of where you're at. So I made the little grid thing that sits on top of there, each color coded for whatever faction it is, and they hold your cubes perfectly aligned inside its little spot on there. And very helpful to have. I made a set of food cans to represent food tokens for dead of winter that even came with little like beans sticker that you can put around them. So they look like little cans of beans out there. Those are very cute. And probably my newest and favorite 3D printed upgrade. I actually did not make I had to buy it from Etsy because there is not a plan available for this one. I bought realistic little trains and canal ships for my copy of Brass Birmingham instead of the little cardboard tokens on there. And Those suckers are very cool. cool. So they have a colored base based on what what different color player you are. And half of them are canal boats and the other half are trains and you use those to mark out the connections
1: that you've taken over. Very cool. The next category of game upgrades is can be DIY. We don't have the ability to do these, but I know some people do. I'm working on it. Laser cutter. So if you have a laser cutter, you can do a whole bunch of stuff. You can either cut acrylic tokens or wooden tokens, or you can burn down the whole house, right? Those are the three things you can do with the laser cutter. Or <laughs> fill wanna, it with smoke wanna, if, if you're, you're not terrible, terrible. yeah. Or burn well, your eyes uh, yeah, out. Yeah, just easy things. Yeah, I can understand why you're really rushing to get one of these. So there's a couple of companies <laughs> online that do some acrylic tokens. These are a little bit more for kind of lifestyle games. Like they're really big in the Warhammer community to do like different status markers. And they're also pretty big in like X-Wing to do different um, shaped move maneuver tokens. But I've actually purchased some from Team Covenant, which is a company that does a lot of like lifestyle card game type things. And they also have a YouTube channel and stuff. But they do laser cut components for resources in card games. And I have purchased their Netrunner ones and I like them a lot. Look on Etsy too. Yeah, there's a lot
0: of laser cut acrylic and wooden things from Etsy that you can get to upgrade whatever game you've got. Even a lot of the insert companies like the broken token insert for terraforming Mars came with neat little laser cut acrylic tokens to represent the temperature
1: and the oxygen level and uh, like what phase of the right. game you're in. And We will talk about inserts later, so we won't beleaguer the listeners by talking about it now. Fair enough. What's the next thing, Mark? Well,
0: once you've got all those things on there, we've talked about plastic. We've talked about wood. We've talked about fabric. We have not so much talked about metal yet. And the coolest thing you can do with metal when it comes to games is get upgraded coins for your games. And to me, this is one of the coolest things you can get for a game that enhances the experience of playing it. It's basically unsatisfying to stack up a bunch of pieces of cardboard that have 10 printed on them. Or to throw them across the table into the bank bin or whatever you're going to do with them. So there's something about having a actual metal coin with some heft to it that is realistic-ish for whatever
1: game you're playing. Do you remember what coin was your first one you had in a board game? I think I do know mine. I think the first upgraded coins I ever got was for Scythe. Really?
0: These are maybe some of the nicest and coolest upgraded coins out there because they made a design decision that every denomination represented one of the different factions. So like the 10, it looks Russian. It's got a big star on the back of it and it's kind of got a reddish hue to it. One of the other, the 50 is purple and it's got, you know, more of a Polish look about it or I don't remember exactly which ones were what, but each denomination looks like it's from one of the different
1: factions and they're all extremely well done. Really? So the first one I remember getting and seeing was in Raiders of the North Sea. I think those are the first metal coins that I ever saw in a board game. Now it seems like almost every other Kickstarter comes with metal coins as a stretch goal, but they were the first metal coins I think I remember playing. And I remember touching them being like, this is so cool. Yep. Well, and those are great metal coins too. We've also tried to go a little bit outside of the uh, norm here and upgrade certain games with the specific currency from actual countries so for our yokohama games yep mark found someone on ebay who was willing to sell yen coins and you were able to find those and it yeah. worked out really well at the time that we did
0: that the actual yokohama coins that came from tasty minstrel were not available outside of the deluxified version of it so you just couldn't get them so if you wanted metal coins in your non-deluxified yokohama you had to either find some other Japanese coin or you had to be creative. And I realized that for a matter of only a few dollars, I could buy one and five yen denomination coins, which are tenths of pennies or something like that. They're, they're really worthless, actually. I was able to get a couple of rolls of them for five dollars from off eBay. And I remember we split a set of those. And for quite a while, those were our metal coins for the game of Yokohama. Now, smash cut to Gen Con when all of a sudden, hey, you can buy the deluxified Yokohama coins directly from Tasty Minstrel and giddy up. So we both ended up going that route. Perfect,
1: yeah. And we both bought some other ones specifically for games. You've had them for Lisboa, you have them for Oleons, because you've done everything to that game. And then you've also got them from Near and Far, which was the deluxified version from the actual Kickstarter.
0: Right. And last night, as we were playing this game, I realized that Twa needs metal coins really bad because you do a lot of money handling in that game. There's a lot of coins that get passed around. Yeah. I would think that if anybody has any good recommendations for a, I don't know, you know, a 16th century European coin, I know
1: there's companies out there that make
0: those things. I would love to hear about it because my twa set needs to have
1: metal coins. in well, it. Well, why don't you check out the little shout out? Good, good segue. Did you see that? Yes. Um, we found the expert in metal coins. Right. And so there's someone I follow on Instagram that's called Pixel Art Meeple. They've actually posted a couple of things on Reddit and BGG. And the kind of claim to fame by this individual is they really deluxify games. So they've have done specific poker chips, like custom poker chips to replace the Stacking little tokens in ethnos, and they even do special custom boxes and wrap them in the same original artwork to downsize the boxes. They are like my dream craft person. Oh, yeah. If you look up Pixel Art Meeple on Instagram or BGG, or they actually have a website. So if you just Google Pixel Art Meeple, you can see that. And they do a really interesting information there. And they have guides and tutorials and stuff. Really cool. Check it out. Yeah. Pixel Art
0: Meeple on Instagram. His stuff is really cool on there.
1: I don't know if it's a him or her, but the individual does a great job
0: for sure. Now, one of the fun things is when you come up with an upgrade for something that isn't really specifically for the game and nobody would necessarily pair it up with the game, but it makes a really cool upgrade anyway to bring a little theme into it. One of the Christmas present items that Jake gave me was a wooden hammer. Jake, why'd you give me a wooden hammer? Actually, it doesn't normally call it a hammer. It's a gavel.
1: (laughs) So I gave you a gavel because we both have one of our favorite games, the Estates that we talked about earlier. It's sometimes annoying to tell who's the auctioneer. And so I was like, I have to be able to buy a cheap gavel on Amazon. And I found one and it's perfect and it fits right in the box, but it came in as a two pack. So I had my buddy Mark, who also had a copy of that. Wambo Bambo, you got a quick and easy Christmas present. Yep. I hope you like it. It's so fun. And it's fun to actually hit it and say sold it's fun. And then you pass it to the thing. I'm surprised it didn't come with it in the box. Honestly, it makes the most sense. Yeah, that is a bit of a miss because it's the production on that game is actually
0: really, really well done. And uh, just including a little gavel in there um,
1: really sort of spices up the experience quite a bit. Completely agree. The other thing I've bought from random Amazon stuff is I bought a little choo-choo train. It's like a little model train, maybe a five inches long. And it's my priority deal marker for 18xx games. And my buddy Vince also did the same thing. It was such a good idea. I've never talked with him about it, but he showed up at game night the other day with one as well. So stop copying me, Vince.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we had a cool little metal choo-choo train to pass
1: around as the priority deal marker last time we played 1889. That was really cool. Right. And it just helps bring in a little bit of theme into the game that it's just kind of a little fun. You know, it's fun. It was six bucks too. So we've managed to find a few other random game components, too.
0: And one of the very first horse trades that the two of us ever did was after playing
1: one of our splatter favorites, Indonesia. Sense a theme here, Jake. Yeah, it's uh, are, are we just uh kicking splatter games because they're the worst? I I, I love their games so much. Yeah, We're huge fans of splatters, <laughs> but I feel like I'm just being so mean to all their
0: component qualities. Their Production's a little rough. I, I think we just have higher standards for games on what we like and you know, honestly, it's a challenge. I look at that as a challenge. We take a delicious game and we make it into a beautiful production. How about that? There you go. That wonderfully. we were talking about the ships and as we were brainstorming about what you could use for upgrading the ships, I went, you know, I have a copy of Seafarers of Catan sitting on my shelf that hasn't seen the light of day in forever. Pretty much just give that to you, Jake. (laughs) If you want to take it and take the boats out of that and use that for your upgraded boats into Indonesia. Uh, Giddy up. So smash cut. My seafarers of Catan boats are now in your copy of Indonesia.
1: And it's perfect. And that's something that is really interesting about games. I know some people will actually wait and like buy bargain bin, goodwill games and stuff like that and just rip the components out of it and add them to other games. Like I just bought a copy of Texas Hold'em Monopoly. We're going to talk about it the next time when we talk about poker chips. But I'm going to have a whole bunch of extra houses and like little metal markers for for Monopoly I'm going to have to put into other games. Well, and I actually have a box of
0: kind of an island of lost toys of components that have been replaced or pulled out of games because I deluxified something. And that came in really handy recently when we were playing 1889. And I realized that I didn't have a first player marker or something like that and i just went fishing in my my random box of components and went i don't like this and had the perfect there thing you go there. yeah we're perfect exactly we saw a cool upgrade that neither of us had ever thought of in a game that we had somewhat dismissed because of its inherent fiddliness shall we
1: say we recently say played, constant math but yes
0: yeah and fiddliness it's just it's yeah, constant that.
1: accounting constant accounting
0: We play Dominant Species right now with a couple local friends of ours. And one of the challenges in that game is constantly recalculating dominance. I know people have played that all the time and will just say, get over it. It's part of the game. There's a better way to do it, we found out. As the guy whipped out a set of dice matching each one of the different colors, and just proceeded every time somebody was on there, would set the that colored dice on there and set it to whatever value the dominance value was for that hex. And it was able to tell instantly at a glance who had dominance where and by how much. And man, that was great.
1: Yeah, it was such a smart idea. I would probably upgrade that and use D12s instead. So you don't have to. There was occasionally a couple of times where we'd have to yeah, put spin two it dice around and use a there. couple of dice, but... That's just that'd be the only thing to do it. But it was such a smart idea. Made that game completely not need to manage something because every once in a while you check through, but you could see what the dominance was to each location. It was perfect.
0: The final one is sometimes you have to stretch all the way overseas and find your game bling things on AliExpress. And. Boy, if you haven't used AliExpress, that is literally the Turkish bazaar of every crazy thing you could find. The component quality for the game's sidereal confluence is um, <laughs> charitably garbage. You know, the components are pretty ugly. They're generic cubes. The currency on there are little cardboard chits with ships printed on them. I got a giant bag of what would be called rubber stocking stuffer ships for almost nothing <laughs> from China. Had them shipped to me, and so now instead of whipping out little cardboard currency chits, we actually have little spaceships that we use as money instead. So, Jake, I know you have an opinion on my Chineseium ships. What do you think of them?
1: I will not touch them. They are so gross feeling. <laughs> Worse, <laughs> I hate them so much. They're just, they're like, they're like sticky in some weird way. Well, I'm it- sure they just have like a whole bunch of suffering on them from the Chinese factory you bought them from. Yeah, yeah, they're kind of fan. They're kind
0: of gooey rubber. I'll be honest with they're you about so that. So gooey. Yeah, that's the <laughs> right term. God, they're, they're gooey. just
1: too gooey. No thanks.
0: Yeah. And especially that part of the game, too, is you actually bid with these tokens with money. And so you actually have to take a handful of these chinesium ships and flip them open. <laughs> they're kinda, yeah. No thanks. So that may not have been well thought out, but they look cool. I'll give you that. Yeah. So, um, sure. As cool, as cool as a really cheap little <laughs> rubber Chinese
1: chip can look. Sure. So that was all the components that actually exist in the box, or the different components that you can upgrade. But there's also other things you can put in the box that are very important to help with facility of playing the game.
0: You have to take those nifty components and gently cradle them, and organize them, and present them in a lovely Correct. fashion.
1: Because, Mark, what's one of my biggest pet peeves in gaming? Disorganized boxes. Close baggies on the table. I need to have them in the box. I hate them when they just are like someone neatly folds them out and they're just like flat on the table. Just hide them. I don't want to look at debris on the table. (laughs) Yeah, just put them back in the box and get them out of there. But I'm with you. One thing I
0: hate is I hate opening up 25 little baggies and dumping them out. Right. Yeah, it's just dumping
1: baggies, but man, it takes forever. I hate it. Right. Well, it depends on the game. Sometimes it's no big deal and sometimes it's just part of the game, but there are certain inserts that absolutely make the game playing experience better. So, why don't we talk about the companies we've actually purchased here from and save whether or not we like them. And for sure, we're also going to talk about some of them that
0: we think are super important. There's a lot of inserts out for a lot of different games and not all of them are super important or super mandatory. But there's a few that transform the game into something that's kind of a pain to something that's no longer a pain. And we're going to highlight those. So when it comes to inserts, Jake, I would say that the thousand pound gorilla in that industry would be Broken Token in terms of numbers sold and variety. They're out there. Wouldn't you agree, Jake? Absolutely agree. They had a huge booth at Gen Con. For sure. And they do absolutely amazing work. They have a large number of them out there. They're all very well-designed. Well, as it turns out, they're not all very well-designed, but honestly, most of them are pretty well-designed, and there's a number of these that I have found to be absolutely indispensable. For example, Caverna. Caverna is one that is absolutely mandatory. It's such a great game, and if you did not have an insert to that one, you would have to have dozens of baggies, and you'd have to have dozens of bowls on your table in order to play this thing, because every bunch of resource would need little bowl and you'd be constantly passing them around i know this cuz i've done it when you get the insert you get a little play tray that has all the in- all the different resources all set out so when you need to repopulate
1: your different placement spots you just pull them out of there and it takes seconds it's so great yeah honestly it's the most necessary one so i actually will disagree with the fact that all of the broken token ones are good Because one of my favorite games is Eclipse and I bought a wooden insert from them and it was just crap. It made game playing harder to play. The way that you'd actually set up the technology tokens made it worse than just putting in a Plano box and actually including it in the box. It was a complete waste of money. I've never actually seen that one. I I threw it away. It was so bad. All the other ones I've ever bought from them have been awesome. And I think I've bought six or seven of them from Broken Token.
0: A couple other games that we've run across that have absolutely mandatory inserts. I would say that if you own this game, you should really consider figuring out how you could get an insert for them because they both make the gameplay better and make the setup teardown faster. First one being Gloomhaven. The Broken Token Gloomhaven insert is really awesome. It dramatically reduces setup time, it keeps everything organized a lot better in that giant box. And it's not the cheapest insert in the world, and it took me a solid afternoon to put together. But it's something that enhances that game experience dramatically. Another mandatory one is the insert for Terraforming Mars. Now, I think you can make a good argument on whether the Meeple Realty one or the Broken Token one is better. But either way, both of them have laser cut trays to keep your production cubes lined up and immobile so that they don't slide around by accident and losing track on where the game state is, which is huge. You could
1: literally ruin the game by just having those little cubes move around.
0: The last one I'm going to mention is I would call a Lifetime Achievement Award in Game Organizer Design. I do not own this game. I have a friend that owns it and went all in on the Kickstarter, and this would be the Rising Sun Daimyo box from (laughs) Broken Token. Oh, my God. It's ridiculous. This is a solid $175 worth of insert. Like It's ridiculous how much this costs. But it's an entire big, huge wooden crate, as well as all these individual little miniature hangers where they all snap in and keep everything safe and organized. Like you ended up pretty much selling your game because it was such a raging pain to try to organize.
1: Correct. And I'm not going to spend another 170 bucks on a game I already spent $100 on. Well,
0: you, for sure. Yeah. And I saw you try to pack that thing up and went, that's awful. My buddy JJ is loves the game Rising Sun. And he bucked up and bought that thing. Problem is, JJ, not super crafty. And he realizes he's not super crafty. And I kind of shrugged and went, dude, I'll do it for you. I I can knock that thing out in an afternoon without realizing what I was signing up for. I think it probably took me eight hours to put that thing together. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. It was the better part of a day to put that thing together. It's amazing. And it's beautiful. It's a really cool thing. But holy smokes,
1: it'd be hard to top that one. Right. And just for those at home who've never heard about these wooden inserts, what they are is they're laser cut wooden sheets that then are cut into different things that you assemble to then fit into the game box. And they usually run you about 30, 30 40-ish yeah. bucks ish, 30, 40 ish bucks. Depends on the game and they, the amount of intricacies to it, but they help you organize the game. Exactly. So actually, I do actually have to disagree with you here, Mark. I don't think that broken tokens are good. They're actually the people I look for last in the marketplace for whether or not I'm looking in the market for a certain insert. The next one's actually my favorite, which is Meeple Realty.
0: Yeah, they yeah make good
1: insert. I think they're really creative with their different trays and stuff. They're a little harder to build and it kind of goes towards the same Line of you're spending about a couple of hours building a insert for a game, but they're roughly the same price as the broken token ones, especially you can get them on sale sometimes. And I just think they do a better job. I have seen them in some cases go overboard on creativity to the detriment of the
0: insert. The one I'm thinking of is Scythe. The broken token Scythe insert is very functional. It's well designed. It's a little simpler, but it fits together really well and is really idiot proof. Whereas the Meeple Realty Scythe one tried doing some crazy box mechanisms, which would tend to break and not work super well. And he's got a
1: little cute for their own good on that one. Yeah, they can get a little too close to the sun, but I prefer them and I think they do a better job. The one thing that you do take some photos of how it's actually supposed to fit back into the box, because sometimes when it's a whole bunch of trays, you don't know how to put it back in. And it feels right. like every single time we play Terraforming Mars with Kirk, he spends about three minutes at the end saying, how does this all fit in again? <laughs> yeah, and I do have the Meeple Realty, a Feast for Odin insert, and it, it's great. So the next company is another one that does a pretty good job. I think this is my second favorite one. And what's really neat about it is both Meeple Realty and Broken Token use wood with a grain to it. It is kind of so sometimes it warps, sometimes it will fleck a little bit or splinter towards the end. The Go7 Gaming is the next insert company I'm talking about, and they use more almost like MDF, like kind of wood poly stuff. Oh, so what's funny about
0: this is literally five minutes before we started recording tonight, Jake, I was playing Imperial Settlers with my children. You were. Specifically, I was playing your copy of Imperial Settlers. You were. And
1: I was looking at the insert going huh, this looks like MDF. Yes, MDF. That's the term. Yeah. And so that one is exactly from Go7 Gaming. So it's a it's less drained. It's more like glued wood chippings. I don't know. Help me out here.
0: Yeah, it's a composite material that is, um, I would say, kind of a finer quality than just the Birchwood plywood that uh, a lot of the other
1: companies use. Right. And so I really like the Go7 gaming ones because they don't have those issues and they fit together so well because there's no warping to it because the material is a little bit more consistent, doesn't fleck either. And I think it feels a little heavier and a little sturdier once it's actually built up. And uh, Mark, I will not forget that you owe me a dang copy of Imperial Settlers back. That has been sitting in your house for too long. I
0: said last night, Jake, we will play this soon. Smash cut 24
1: hours. We're playing it. Good for you. You did well. So that's Go7 Gaming. I I, I like them a lot. They're my second check after Meeple Realty. Uh, Once again, when you can't find the thing that you're
0: hoping to buy from somewhere else, sometimes you just got to make it yourself. And until the day that I own a laser cutter, and I will own a laser cutter someday, trust me, you got to 3D print them. And I actually think the nicest inserts I have of all are the ones that I've 3D printed. Again, search Thingiverse. That's thingiverse.com for game inserts. And you can find a really nice selection of inserts that are out there. Some of the nicest ones that I printed, and I made one of these for you, is Near and Far is a super nice insert and fits the Amber Minds expansion and the base all in the same original box. Love that insert. Was playing with my 3D printed insert for Twa last night, which puts both the base game of Twa and the ladies of Twa in the same box and makes just the money management and the dice management so much better. I also made you a Twilight Struggle organizer, which keeps, you know, the one tray for the U.S. faction, another tray for the communist faction, and one to keep the cards in the middle. And uh, what would be a discussion without mentioning my ship of Theseus once again, I made a 3D printed organizer for Orléans. Very cool. It's very, very nice. So if you have access to a 3D printer and the website Thingiverse, look into 3D printing your inserts. They turn out
1: really nice. Or like we're going to say with everything, check out Etsy. Yeah, they have a lot of those just for sale. Etsy people have little little stores for for either 3D printed inserts or people will do it for the wooden cut inserts that don't actually have a website. I pretty much every single time I get a new game search on Etsy to see if whether or not there's something for it. And that's a fair point, because I
0: have seen the exact organizer that I printed for Orleans for sale on Etsy for sub
1: $20. And at that point, you look at it and go, "Hmm, worth the trouble to 3D print it. I don't know. Absolutely. All right. So the next one is a kind of newcomer into the industry ish. So if you've browsed BGG or if you've browsed Reddit every once in a while, people will talk about making their own foam core inserts for games. And so, foam core is the big board that everyone's used when they were in school to make different posters to do a science fair. And it's called foam core because there's foam in between two different papers on the outside. But there's a new company that's recently came out with actually cut inserts using this material, so you don't actually have to build them yourself. And that name of that company is Folded Space. And I have their Concordia insert. And what's really cool about this company is they're about half the price of the wooden ones, and they're definitely not as durable, but they're half as expensive. So win. That's a win for me. I also kickstarted their most recent Kickstarter for Anachrony and I think it was like 20 bucks and all the other inserts for it were like 45 of wood and they weigh a lot less. So
0: yeah, foam cord, not the most durable stuff on earth. So I'm interested to see over time
1: how that stuff holds up, but it certainly looked good. Yeah. At first glance. I think my main issue is I used crappy Elmer's glue to it and I think I need to get a more strong kind of, kind of like plastic glue kind of thing to really strengthen it. Yeah, I can see that making a difference.
0: Last but not least on the topic of inserts is there are certain off-the-shelf things that happen to work really well. My original organizer for Castles of Burgundy was actually a Plano fishing lure case, and it fit inside the box great, and it held everything great. And until I got the Board Game Geek bags, that was my go-to Castles of Burgundy organizer. Once I got the bags, I now had a spare Plano box for fishing tackle, and I figured out that it fit perfectly into Lahav, and honestly, it works great for Lahav, because Lahav is a game where there's a bunch of resources that you're always dipping into, and you're always restocking things, and having just one tray that they're all in there conveniently right next to the board is super useful. If you own Lahav and you want to organize better, find a... uh, Plano fishing tackle
1: box it will fit inside your Lahab box. My Plano style boxes that I buy are the Husky brand ones from Home Depot. They are like three bucks for the biggest one. So they're about half price compared to Amazon price of the Planos. They're way less quality, but. Oh, it's a good call. I figure I don't need the quality for that. So I pretty much always have all no. three different sizes <laughs> on hand in a little drawer. The other thing that I'm a huge fan of, I haven't used them as much. I actually kind of forgot they're in the drawer, but they're little dollar store sauce containers. So they're little Tupperware style containers. They maybe hold two ounces. What they actually do is uh, you they're 10 cents each. You get 10 for a pack of $1. And I bought a whole bunch of these. And what you can do is they they just fit perfectly in the board games and you just put one single resource type in there and then you can set them up actually on the table. They work out really well. Jake, we have talked about an awful lot of upgrades and pretty rapid fire succession here
0: tonight, but I know that some of these are better than others. Right. So if you were going to go back and think about all the things we talked about tonight, about the things that you like the most or have added the best experience to a game or the best produced. What would your top five be? Let's uh, let's throw this one back and forth and talk about our top five favorite upgrades. Jake, what's right. your number
1: five on? Well, before I do that, I think we should do a quick little asterisk to all these things. All right. Fair enough. This is not supposed to be a comprehensive all the different organizing ways to bling games. Oh, no, we're just scratching the surface. There's so much you can do here. And it's amazing what you could actually co-op to different resources in different games. This is just the stuff that we've done. I apologize if we didn't list some insert company that someone else has used. Definitely send us emails if this is something you guys are interested in, because we always want to hear what's out there and learn some more. So or strike up a conversation with us via Twitter, Instagram or, or our Bird Game Geek Guild anywhere. We're accessible. Now, with that quick side note, let's start with my five. My number five is the Antiquity Board Game Geek Chits. They're beautiful. They look like little pieces of gum, kind of chick lit almost. They definitely enhance the game. They do. And they are absolutely one of my favorites. What's your number five, Mark? My number five are the Faction Bags for Root.
0: The art on that one is 10 out of 10 in that entire game. Carries that over to a really nice little silky bag, Whereas you're setting up, you just hand everybody their player board and their Faction Bags, and they're off and running. Those Faction Bags are a must-buy if you own the game of Root. Number four,
1: Jake. My number four is my Yokohama upgrades <laughs> from Meeple Source. Um, I really love screen printed wooden meeples, and these helped me deluxify my own copy of Yokohama, which ended up being moot because the deluxified edition's on Kickstarter right now, and I don't know if I'm gonna kickstart it. What's your number four, Mark? My number four last night, I was
0: reminded about how much I like this, and I forgot I had even done this till I opened it up and I went, oh. I forgot I did this. (laughs) It's my twa insert that I 3D printed. It's so well laid out. It made the setup of the game literally take half the amount of time and made the management of the game way easier because we just had one dice tray. We had another tray that was for the money. We had another tray for each different color and the neutral color, and it made the management and setup and play of the game super simple. That's my number four, the 3D printed twa insert from Thingiverse.com. Perfect.
1: Jake, what's your number three? My number three is from Board Game Geek. They are the geek up bags for Castles of Burgundy. Castles of Burgundy, I used to have it in a kind of Plano style fishing lure style bag, and it was super annoying to set it up. Then they have these bags for everything, become setups of Breeze. It looks pretty on the table. I don't know why these weren't included in the base game. They're so perfect. I love the Castles of Burgundy bag. Now, if you talk about
0: things that aren't included in the box for Castles of Burgundy, uh, I think you could go way deeper <laughs> art, on that topic. Art, less <laughs> color like art. beige, more colors, pretty much anything else. All right. My number three is something I found on Etsy. Speaking of Etsy and 3D printing, it's the 3D printed canal ships and trains that you use to mark connections inside Brass Birmingham. They're great. They were awfully inexpensive for what they are. And I think it makes the game experience of an already beautiful game even more beautiful. That's 3D
1: printed Brass Birmingham trains from Etsy. Perfect. Number two, Jake. My number two is my Roll for the Galaxy insert by Broken Token. Roll for the Galaxy is one of my favorite games. It seems like I said a lot of my favorite games this year, but Roll for the Galaxy actually is one of my favorite games. And this just helps set up play so much faster. I mean, it keeps the board really or the, the kind of table space really organized because it sorts out each one of the different dice into different trays. I can meet with people that actually know how to play Roll for the Galaxy. We've played with setup in under 25 minutes. So having this just makes it so you can really quickly set it up. It doesn't sprawl, so cleanup's a breeze too it makes Roll for the Galaxy a wonderful experience. I love my insert from Roken Token. You know, I realize I never mentioned that
0: that was one of the games I played with my kids over the freeze out week last week. We played Roll for the Galaxy and I realized that I needed an insert bad. I'm taking a different approach, though. I downloaded 3D plans to 3D print an insert for Roll for the Galaxy, so I shall have one soon as well. You'll have to tell me if it's better or worse. Yep, we'll see. What's your number two, Mark? My number two, I'm cheating bold as heck on because I am not picking an individual upgrade. I'm picking an entire upgraded game because it is no longer the original game anymore. I'm taking my copy of Orleans because (laughs) I've upgraded everything in that one at this point. The insert, the coins, the bag chips, the resources in that one, everything about that one has been upgraded. Now if I had to pick one thing, it's definitely the board game geek worker tokens that you pull outside of the bag cuz those things are awesome.
1: Yeah, I need to play this game more. You've you've done a lot of work to it. Yep, that's my number 2. <laughs> N- now I need to make a
0: box that'll actually fit everything cuz it's getting a little tall. We're onto New Frontiers. I have some lid rise on that
1: one. <laughs> new Frontiers, yeah. Mark. All right, number 1, Jake, hit me. What is it? Mine is my Indonesia upgrades from Meeple Source. I already spent a lot of money on in Indonesia. And it hurt a little bit to buy an extra $60, I think is how much it costs, of wooden upgrades to it to make the game playable. It is playable, but whatever, playable to Jake. But I would absolutely always choose to make that decision to buy that money. I absolutely love the way it makes the game look. They fit the art style of the board really well. And it's just, it's perfect. It's how it should have been out of the box. Thank you, Source.
0: Yep, I agree. That uh, makes that game absolutely awesome. So my number one is my self-deluxification of Yokohama. And again, that's sort of a multi-part thing. The coins, the realistic resources from Stonemaier and the wooden buildings from Spiel Material make one of my favorite games an absolute joy to play. My number one are Yokohama upgrades to make
1: a DIY deluxified Yokohama. We will have to actually post some side by side photos or something to see whose copy of Yokohama is better and maybe do a poll or something to see who actually thinks which is better. And to be fair, your copy is yeah. awesome, too. So I would be proud to own either one of them. Absolutely. All right, let's bring her home, Jake. Now we got to do the long miss out and goodbye and take another 15 minutes for it. It doesn't feel righteous to cut it. I can't Irish <laughs> goodbye, Mark. I just can't do it. <laughs>
0: Uh, we got harassed by some people about a goodbye that apparently took an extra long time in episode six and (laughs) i'm still chuckling about that one but anyway this is actually part one of what i would consider to be gaming upgrade next time we're going to hit part two the stuff outside the box so i'm very excited to have that conversation next time looking forward to it hope you have a good rest of your night mark and you too jake thank you very much and thank you all very much have a great night and we'll see you next time
1: This has been the Gaming Moguls Podcast, co-hosted by Mark Teske and Jake Klopfenstein. Please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Feel free to join our Board Game Geek Guild, Guild number 3431. Find us on Instagram and Twitter, at Gaming Moguls. Or reach us via email, jake at gamingmoguls.com or mark at gamingmoguls.com. If you like the Gaming Moguls Podcast, please tell a friend. Thanks for listening.